Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and this is another Thursday episode, and we've got a pretty fun one for you today. We're going to be talking about winter bass fishing. We've been out doing some winter bass fishing, enjoying some time outdoors as the weather permits, just to try to stay healthy mentally and physically, and we're going to share with you guys some, some tips and tricks if you want to go out and do some winter bass fishing yourself, and we're also going to share lots of lots of stories from our time out and some of it's not even about fishing just some cool things that you run into while you're outdoors but before we get started we need to give thanks my family has has been battling sickness for weeks and weeks and weeks and i know yours has too and you and i have both kind of been in and out of it <clears throat> i'm really thankful for the simple things like like tissues that have lotion in them you know that like <laughs> so your nose isn't just dying uh like the simple things cough drop even honey just things that uh if we didn't have man would um life would be really difficult every single day simple NSAIDs like ibuprofen tylenol just so thankful that those things are in abundance i know that people say we can't find some of them right now but friends have them neighbors have them like we still have access to them and so thankful that we have uh have those things absolutely I'm thankful um, for all the things that we have, and what what's really making me think this is, you know, I would love, I would love to have a hundred thousand dollar bass boat like the pros with all the electronics and and all the trolling motors, but the reality is is that I can't afford one. I, right. I can't go buy one. Um, but the Bible says that God knows the desires of our heart. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to give us everything that we want, but sometimes he does in an, in an interesting ways. But just to, you and I have each been blessed with a boat in kind of a peculiar way. I actually was, was given a, a total boat and have rebuilt it, but I have a boat and I can go fish, and it means so much to me that I can hit the water and enjoy the outdoors and uh, try to catch fish. And I, I love it, and I'm so thankful to have that even though, Really, I probably don't deserve it, and it's not something that I could have afforded on my own. Yes, that's having a boat is a blessing, brother. Huge yeah, blessing. And, and, until that acronym bust out another thousand <laughs> takes place, and you have to fix it. Then, then we just get angry. It's true, but when your boat has been given to you, right? You know, you're you're not in. Um, it's when you buy those one hundred thousand dollar boats. And then, and then the thousand starts hitting every month or so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, let, let's get started talking about some bass fishing. I, we'll try to keep it. Well, I say short and sweet. We'll try to keep it with, within an hour because you and I could talk about bass fishing until Jesus comes back. Right. Oh. <laughs> but you know, we we were out yeah, just yesterday, and it started off really cold, and and that begs the question. How cold is too cold to fish? <laughs> <laughs> How cold is too cold? Never too cold. That's why they have ice fishing, bro. Yeah, right. <laughs> but tell us what what was the season? What are we in? What was the temperature? Well, what was it, it like? It's January. You know, we've got a, a snowstorm coming later today. Yeah, that's right. So this would be kind of post uh, post or pre front frontal conditions, pre frontal conditions that we were we were fishing. Um, it was pretty sunny. 
was pretty calm. There wasn't a whole lot of wind. Little breeze picked up later in the day. Was it partly cloudy or was it partly sunny? Yeah, that's the debate we were having on the way there. <laughs> which one is it? Which it's is not it? all sunny and no. it's not all cloudy. How do you decide which one of those middle ones it is? Is there a ratio of, of cloud to, to blue sky that defines that? You know, it's funny. There's <clears throat> there's actually a TV channel station, weather station uh, here locally that calls it their outdoor forecast. Oh. And I thought... As opposed to your indoor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's that sometimes they'll put up it's partly sunny, sometimes they'll put up it's partly cloudy, and I'm yeah. just like, well, that just means a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to say we don't know, but you're going to get some of each. That's right. Yeah, so the weather was honestly pretty nice. It was right there at around the freezing mark when we got out there. Um, but it's kind of a cool thing about the winter, you know, in the, in the spring and the summer, you really want to be out there like at the crack of dawn and, and get that early, early early morning bite when you're fishing. And in the winter, you don't necessarily have to be there for that. You know, there's a great afternoon bite, uh, especially on these on these sunny days. But it was right around freezing, but it was later in the morning. I think it was about 9 o'clock that we got to the water. One thing you do have to be concerned about when you're fishing around freezing, the freezing temperature is the type of rod that you use because a lot of times now rods have what they call micro eyelets so the actual opening the diameter of the guides or the eyelets on your rod are very very small and when you're using uh braided fish line especially through those they'll freeze yeah you'll ice up you'll completely like ice sticking up. your tongue to a metal I've pole had to switch rods right yeah i mean it sticks hard and so if if you do start to notice your eyelets freezing you pick up a, a rod that has bigger eyelets on it more space because it won't it'll take longer for it to freeze over but fortunately for us the sun was shining so that really wasn't an issue for us right so the air temperature was freezing at some point but the water was not correct water water temperature what what were we at uh it was 46 when we got out there and it was about 48 when we left it warmed up a couple of degrees so another tip you can do is is leave your rod underwater <laughs> and then it won't freeze that way <laughs> anyway right. now you know, a really important aspect of, of winter fishing or anything, spending time outdoors and, and go back and listen to, we did an episode several months ago about how to dress in the outdoors. And if you're going to be spending time out there, you don't want to be miserable. Otherwise you're not going to enjoy yourself. So one thing, one motto I like to follow, obviously Ben, you pre- you're going to preach it that, that cotton kills. Don't wear any cotton from your first layer. If you have six layers on, then nowhere in between let there be any cotton. But one thing I like to say is, if you don't bring it, you can't wear it. So if you feel like, man, I might need one more layer, go ahead and bring it. You can always take it off and put it back on, especially when you're when you're in a boat and you have compartments and you're, you're not actually traveling or hiking or packing with it. That's very good. You know, traveling with you, so we took your boat, and uh, I have a fishing bag. And I don't have a tackle box. It's a bag. And so I can actually place a couple boxes in there. And then I still have room for my extra clothing, mm-hmm. which is what I did. I, I took one extra layer that I didn't even need because it did. It got warm. So the sun came out. We started kind of getting hot and started shedding layers pretty quick. Right. Yeah, I think I think uh, I had taken three layers off by the time we were done. But it, it is important to have that outer layer as well, that shell that's going to break the wind because – when you're on open water, even on a day that says it's only five to six miles an hour, that you're going to feel that breeze out in the open on the water. And also if you're traveling in the boat, yeah, it can get pretty cold pretty quick. Right. I mean, we're doing 40 miles an hour, right. you know, 
the wind is stealing your body heat. It's it's taking it from you for sure. Right. So wear wear something that can block that wind and, and bring extra clothes so that you are staying warm because if you're cold, you're not going to be having any fun at all. But we were able to stay warm. We had some kind of a new area for us. We fished in this area a few times, but not the hundreds of times that we fished in other areas of the lake. And we were on Table Rock Lake, for anybody wondering. And we were actually down in Arkansas, on the Arkansas side. We were, we had traveled south, which for us, it's about a 45-minute drive to where we were. It's it's not too bad at all. But it's kind of rivery creek area, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the style of fishing that, that we like. And last time we were out crappie fishing in that area, we had got some bites for bass, and we knew there were some bass in these areas. And we wanted to go give it a try. Really, what happened was we were crappie fishing um, a week or two ago, and we were watching other boats around us. Catch bass. And they were catching bass, and we were like, what, what are we doing? Shoot, what are we doing here catching crappie? Let's go catch bass. And so we, we had to go back. Well, we weren't really catching crappie. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we it like, was a tough day. <laughs> <laughs> What's biting? So, we yeah, we caught a few bass, and we thought we'd go go back. But let's let's kind of start with things to consider for winter bass fishing as far as where are you going to find bass at because they're not in the backs of these creeks they're not up there where you can see them shallow spawning what are bass doing in the winter where are they at because honestly you where you and i started wasn't really the right spot it didn't have all these elements that we're about to talk about and once we moved away from that and started to add more of these key elements that's when we started finding fish and catching fish you know i think that's what's fun just really fishing period you and i that we don't get to fish multiple times in a week we don't get to we only have an understanding of what a seasonal pattern is what the fish should be doing but we don't know until we get out there that morning and by the end of the day that's what's fun is trying to figure out what is happening right. you know and putting that together so um to give you a little bit of like we actually had a good day it was a good day we caught a lot of fish and so that helps <laughs> when you start catching fish that's what's starting to tell that story, and that's that's what's going to help put it together. If you're trying everything, it is telling a story because it's the opposite of what you want. Like, so mm-hmm. stay out of there, don't go there, don't do that. Um, but as you start catching more fish, boy, that does help on your pattern. And so, you know, you, thankfully, you and I had uh, you actually in particular had caught some fish in this area. Um, previously, so it right. kind of gave us some confidence going in. You know, you and I don't have forward facing sonar. Uh, for those that don't know what that is, basically it's like looking at a. Um, it's live. It's it's live. It is, but it's like if if when you're going to get a ultrasound, you can see the baby in the stomach. Like it looks just like that, but these fish underwater, you can see them swimming and moving. It's, I never thought about. I've always wanted something to compare it to. People call it video game fishing, but it's it's not that. It's not the clarity of a video no, game. No, no, I mean like, like ultrasound is perfect. That's yeah, so good. Like, like you can see the nose and the legs, but then you're kind of like, oh, what? Yeah, <laughs> is that a chicken is or a baby? A, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of hard to tell, but but it's the best we've ever had. Yeah, you know, you can it's, tell you it's can, there. You can tell it's moving. And the more that you study it, just like these people do for ultrasounds, the more that you study this, like you can be like, oh, that's a spoonbill, that's a crappie. There's even men and women today that can tell you different types of bait fish. Yeah, or that, oh, that's probably a four or five pound fish. Yeah. But all that to say, we don't have that technology. We don't, no. So we had to go, which it's not old school. We're going to call it old school. <laughs> it's, it's still pretty cool. It, you know, you, it is really, really cool. But you and I, we went out, we used, um, we used our technology, our down imaging to where we could actually see some structure, yeah. looking for some fish around that structure. Um, and it did help us. Uh, we found a lot of, Really bait balls. We found a lot of bait balls in the areas we were fishing. Um, 
And that's so key in the winter. And when we're saying bait, we're we're really talking about shad. And they're going to group up in these areas, and they'll kind of suspend and and pull up. And we're talking thousands, sometimes tens of thousands, big, huge balls of bait. Um, in the and it's usually in the channel, which is where the creek would have been before the the lake was uh, dammed up. But on these cloudy days, you'll see them higher in the water column, and then when it starts to get sunny later on in the day, you'll really see them push down towards the bottom. Right. You know, winter bass fishing is different than our other seasons in regards to um, some of their food sources yeah. are are missing. So it can still be really good though. But it is really good. Yeah. But like you know. You're probably not going to find as many crawdads in the wintertime as you do the rest of the year. So there's that food source um, that could be missing for them. So they are probably going to be turning to these bait bait fish. Mm-hmm. That's going to be their food source there. You know, when you and I talk about bass fishing, that's something I've I've been taught and I get uh, told a lot by these professional anglers. They're like, find the food source. If you find the food, you find the bass. You know, they're predatory fish. They're going to protect their area, but they're always looking for food. Mm-hmm. So we have to find their food. And that's what we're looking for. Um, and in the winter months, uh, because of the cooler temperatures, their food does die off. So when we're talking about these bait ball, these these thousands and thousands of shad, um, they can't handle the temperatures like other fish can. So right. you will have a little bit of die off. So these bass are constantly hanging out, moving, pushing these bait balls, and they're ready for dead. They're, they're ready for the ones to die. They're ready to ambush. And so um, you either have to mimic that and try to fish around that or do what you and I did which is really kind of keying in on that structure, looking for the depth within the structure, and really kind of the water temp with with those two things as well. Right. But this particular place we started, you mentioned I had caught some fish there before. There's kind of an interesting story to why we didn't start there to begin with, why it was our second place. So this is the craziest thing, which I wasn't even paying attention. I was on my phone. I think I was trying to TikTok what we were doing. (laughs) But Brian's like, oh, my gosh. And, I, and I, you yelled deer. That's what you said. You said deer, which to anyone listening, if you're with Brian, you kind of get numb to the word deer. <laughs> and I say this because he sees them everywhere. Like they're always out in the field. They're always on, on the ridge line. <laughs> this dude can see deer everywhere. And so when he said there was a deer, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's up on the bank. I get it. So I looked over to see where he's somehow seen this deer. And there was a deer swimming in the water. And that's all I saw. I saw the head of this deer. And, and you yelled. And Brian yelled and said, which he's yelling domestic dogs, which I was like. Yeah. I, he was using those words, which was weird to me. I was like, domestic dogs, domestic dogs. <laughs> and that's what, as we turned, you know, as he he cut the boat back, and which by now I'm trying to get this on video because I was like, this is crazy. We found what? What was it? What was happening? Well, as we're driving back into this creek, that w- exactly where we saw this was kind of where we were wanting, we were going to start in this area. This is where he had caught fish before, but we were going to kind of go past it and fish back towards it. And I didn't really give it much thought because when we were there last time a couple weeks ago, there were a couple, we'll call them stumps, but it's actually the tops, the tips of trees. And they're just sticking out of the water like maybe a foot. Mm-hmm. And as we were driving by, out of the corner of my eye, I kind of saw like, oh man, there's like five or six trees over there. I only, and then I had this thought, man, I only remember there being two. And that's when I turned and really looked and paid more attention. And at first I saw the deer and we've seen deer swimming before. I know that deer are pretty good swimmers. I see the deer first and then I look back to see what's behind it. And yeah, it was somebody's collared dogs 
chasing this deer. They were after this little button buck trying to get it. I don't know what they were going to do with it if they got it in the water, but we circled around, came back over there, and we actually drove between the deer and the dogs mm-hmm. and allowed the deer to cross the lake and right. then let the dogs turn and go back up to the bank where they came from. So we are deer saviors That's yesterday. Right. I mean, we probably saved that deer's life. Right. Probably did. I will say that once they got on the bank, which the water temperature was in the 40s, the air temperature was in the upper 30s, maybe getting 40, like mm-hmm. you and I would be experiencing hypothermia pretty quick, you know? Poor deer. You could tell it was struggling <laughs> when it hit the bank. Yeah. Yeah, this, this guy, which he was exhausted. Um, well, he swam across, what, at least a quarter mile yeah, wide there. Yeah, that's a good stretch right yeah. there. Yeah. Did great. Made it, but... Um, yeah, we spooked those dogs back, and they ran up the hill. I, I know there's a house up there somewhere, but but who it's just knows. crazy for me because these these dogs were clearly cared for, yeah, domesticated with collars, well fed, groomed, yep. But going all the way back to their wolf, their wolf right. background from where all these breeds of dogs came from, you can't get the instinct out of them. No, you can't. That's why they're wild animals and. Uh, or I mean, they were once wild animals, and they still always will have this wild in them. And so I, I like to try to remind people they're cute and they're fluffy, but never ever give one hundred percent trust even to domestic animals because you never know. Right. Absolutely. That's a really good point. So I think that's why Brian has two little tiny dogs. Yeah. Because they can't get their their mouths around his throat. That's more just. <laughs> that's more like just keeping my wife happy. Yeah. That's what she wanted. That's what she got. Yeah. So fishing. Yes. So that was the craziest five minutes there of just watching all this take place being a part of this deer swimming across uh kicking those dogs back where they came from um but then it was time to fish right but we didn't really want to we didn't really start right there we kind of went the opposite direction because one we just circled our boat through there twice dogs just swim through there deer just swim through there so right we went and fished down kind of more towards the back of this creek arm still on the channel side however we started to realize after a few hundred yards that the depth that we were looking for wasn't there. And what we mean by that is we were fishing in about 15 feet of water, but that was the deepest part. There was nothing deeper close. And this time of year, we have found, especially on Highland Reservoir, like like Table Rock Lake, these fish need that channel swing. I'm going to say these fish need, that's talking about bass, but really that's where the bait correlates to. Channel swing, and they may be in 15 feet of water, they may be in 100 feet of water, but they've got to have that deep water close, like that 35 plus close with bait, with some kind of structure or cover. These elements all have to be there for fish to be there. And once we started keying in on that, we were able to kind of replicate that. Highland Reservoirs are known for their patterns. Table Rock's known for their patterns. With the electronics, one of the greatest things about them is mapping. So if you start to catch fish in an area, you can look at the map and look at the spacing on your topographic lines, look at the depth you were catching them at, look at the correlation between where the channel is hitting the bank. Am I right right where the channel's hitting the bank, or am I in the middle of it? And you can look on your map and say, this looks just like where I was catching fish, and usually run over there and, and run into a couple more fish. Yeah, yeah, you can see that with even docks. I mean, lakes that have all these docks. That allows these fish to give them structure even out over crazy depths. Um, then you have your natural structure, um, cover, all of those things for sure. Right. Now, one of the one of the biggest things about winter fishing is to fish slow. These fish are lethargic. 
you mentioned they like the dying bait. They like bigger meals. They're going to be very efficient in the meals that they're getting. They're not just swimming around covering a whole bunch of water being super aggressive because they are. They're, they're lethargic. They still have to eat, but their metabolism is slower. And so they're going to be very efficient in what they're doing. So you're going to have to fish very slow. With that being said, it's kind of easy to pick baits in the winter, in my opinion, because you've got your classic five or six that are known as winter baits. And then you look at the conditions. Okay, it's sunny and calm. I'm probably going to need to fish on the bottom. All right, it's windy and cloudy and blowing. I'm going to fish something a little more shallow that's moving. Right. And pick something out of those classic winter baits. And usually you can go catch fish as long as you're locating fish. That's such a key is finding the bait and finding the fish and then pick your bait to match the conditions. Correct. You know, bait that you're using on your rod is, is you're trying to mimic what you're what you're finding out there, what these bass mm-hmm. are wanting, what they're around, what they're doing. And honestly, winter isn't really different than any other year And in regards to their habitat. It's just their food sources are kind of changed the, the place where their foods are at, um, those kinds of things. And so, you know, what Brian and I used, we tried to, to mimic what was happening around there. But because of the conditions we had, you're talking about those conditions, it was a very calm morning it was really really calm like you had made the comment of like boy i would try some top water like yeah just real calm and smooth you know but i was actually trying to mimic bait fish for a little bit and um brian wouldn't have any of that (laughs) so he turned to his favorite yeah i i I turned to the jig but i want to list real quick some of these classic winter baits and if you if you go online and look for winter bass baits you're going to find some of these on your list but the reason you're going to find these on so many lists the reason we're going to talk about them is because they work they work when people go out they want to catch fish this matches what's happening Um, as far as fish biology and fish ecology these baits are matching in with that so that's why they work and that's why they're staples Mm -hmm. and and those really are jerk baits yep slow sinking are ones that i like i really like the deeper diving ones that have just a little bit of a slow sink in the winter because you're talking about those shad that get so cold shocked that they're starting to die and slowly sink. That's what I'm trying to replicate with one of those deeper diving, slow sinking jerk baits. Yeah, a jerk bait is, is a hard plastic. It's a hard plastic, real long, skinny bait that's got treble hooks on it. And you have to jerk, and there's a bill on the front, and as you're jerking that, it's going to send it down a little bit deeper in that water column and suspends there. So you're really wanting the fish that's below it to look up to, to come up and try to ambush it and hit right. it. Right. And a key with the jerk baits in the winter, because this is a bait you can fish really all year long, and we're really finding that out now with the forward-facing sonar. Guys are really turning to it almost 12 months of the year. But in the winter, you want to have long pauses. What I mean by that is you mentioned jerk, so you're going to jerk, jerk, or twitch, twitch. I like to count to five to start with. If you find it, they want a little bit of faster, great. But one, two, three, four, five, jerk, jerk. You really have to let that thing sit there, again, because they're going to be lethargic this time of year. Give it that slow, slow rhythm so that you're actually giving them an opportunity to get to it. If you're moving it too fast, they're not going to come after it because they're not moving very fast this time of year. It just, it just makes sense. Um, Alabama rigs. Now, I didn't even bring any Alabama rigs. I brought the rod to fish Alabama rigs, but I left my Alabama rigs at home. You didn't bring any. Mm-mm. They're really good. And, and basically what an Alabama rig is, is uh, you've got, I don't know, there's six or eight inch pieces of wire, five of them. 
and each one has a bait on it. So you're really fishing like five, six, seven baits at once. Um, I don't like throwing them. They're big and heavy and exhausting. Uh, get, get them hung up in every tree, I feel like, trying to get them unstuck. We didn't fish those. However, I have seen and I have experienced really good success in cold water in the winter on Alabama rigs. And Alabama rigs, if you're fishing a tournament in the, in the winter, if the Alabama rig bite is on and you're not fishing it, then you're not winning. It's right. really hard to compete against an Alabama rig so if, the bite, if they're biting it. What is the Alabama rig? Also, I was kind of trying to explain. It's like five baits at once. You've got basically a head that you tie to. You've got four or five wires coming off and then a bait on each one of those. But mimicking a... A shad, a small shad ball. Right. And that's right? why that's, you're creating your own shad ball. Right. <laughs> so it's like you are increasing your chances of one of your hooks um, being eaten by the bass mm-hmm. because, again, it depends on what lake you are. Our lake, we can only have three hooks. Other lakes allow five hooks. Um, but, uh, the umbrella rig, man, it is deadly. Yeah, it is. Actually, we were in Arkansas, so we may have been able to have more. There is parts in Arkansas where you could have five. Yes. Yep. Um, the next one is crankbaits. Crankbaits are great for the winter because it, crankbaits will, they can entice a strike out of reaction, not necessarily out of, out of feeding. Uh, red is a color that I really like or, or shad colored, but I really like red in the winter. I don't know the biology behind why red, but a red crankbait that's going down that 10 to 15 foot range. And I've also found that sometimes, this is going to be your exception to the rule, sometimes in the winter, if they're biting a crankbait, again, this is going to be more cloudy, windier conditions for me when I I see the shad are kind of pulled up a little shallower, fish seem to be pulled up. I've got to have some wind and some cloud cover for me to really get the crankbait bite going. But sometimes I have to burn that thing. I have to fish it really fast, actually, just to get them to react. But I'm only going to do that if I know there are fish in the area. So when, when the fish are lethargic, does that work very well for you, burning it like that? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes with that crankbait, I have to fish all these other baits really, really slow. And if I'm fishing my crankbait slow, it's not really enticing that strike. So the idea with fishing it really fast when the water is cold is going by that fish and you're basically making them turn, making them turn and strike this thing almost out of, um, well, they have this lateral line. So the, the faster you're burning, the more contact you're making with the bottom, uh, you're really keying into their, their instinct and they almost have to bite it. Now, do you like lipless crankbaits, crankbaits without lips or you got to have that bill on the front of it. Yeah, I'm I'm going with a build crankbait that's going to dive 10 to 15 feet in, yeah. in the winter. I've seen some videos of some professionals that in the wintertime they're using lipless crankbaits and kind of giving it a, a tug and fall, a tug and fall. But um, you and I didn't do that this no, day. We, we didn't. didn't. What, that what that makes me think of is, is the next bait that's really well known for wintertime fishing. As a matter of fact, I don't use it any other time of year except for the wintertime. That's called a blade bait. And essentially what that is, it's a stamped out piece of metal in the shape of a a shad Mm -hmm. and then it's colored or painted like a shad but it's literally just a piece of metal with a couple hooks on it Um, and you kind of throw that out how i like to fish it as you're going to these areas that have the channel swings and they'll have these little mouths or pockets small coves but like ones that you can cast all the way to the back of from the mouth short little pockets and kind of go down the trench or the middle of that pocket yo-yoing this thing, pulling it up, letting it fall, pulling it up, letting it fall way back to the boat. And you can really catch some fish that way if those fish are sitting out in those trenches. You know, the the blade bait, I used it. um, Didn't have any luck with it, but, you know, it is a metal spoon like you talked about. It does have a weighted nose on the front. 
Um, but it's actually a style of crankbait. So it's a metal crankbait that when you lift up, it actually vibrates. And that's the point of that metal spoon in regards to the blade bait. Because our next one is spoons. Yeah. People use spoons all winter long. And, and the blade bait being a type of spoon, there are so many other types of spoons. Right. Crazy amounts. I, you know, I only used or I only had two with me besides that blade bait. And one was a jigging spoon. And the other was a flutter spoon. Yeah. As we get into these last three or four baits here, now we're really talking about when you're moving out into some of these deeper fish. And when I say deeper fish, I'm going to say 20 feet plus all the way out to 100. Could in be, the yeah. winter, you can find fish in this 100. They won't probably be 100 feet down, but they'll be 100 foot depth and they'll be suspended down there around like 60. What you have to be ready for is if you are targeting those fish with electronics and catching them, you need to have a fizz needle ready. You need to be ready to let the air out of their swim bladder. Otherwise, uh, you're just going to kill them. Yeah. Yeah, so what these spoons really are doing is they're imitating a wounded or fleeing bait fish. So we keep talking about bait fish. Now we're still in bait fish. Um, but yeah, it's like a, a bait fish that's it's wounded or dying, and it, it kicks up, and then it's, that's all it's got, so yeah. it falls back down. It kicks up, that's all it's got, so it falls back down. Yep, yeah. and, and sometimes that happens when um, after bass ambush and eat like some of them get injured um so you can actually see this taking place when they're feeding and then afterwards you'll see these um these bay fish going sporadic like that so yeah. if you ever get the opportunity to see that try to mimic it that's what you're trying to do but um you know flutter spoons jigging spoons those are the two main type for bass um but they're made of metal and that's yep. what's crazy is it's literally like taking a painted white metal yeah like a the... spoon out of your drawer and then hooking a you know a hook to it um but there's so many different types different types of metals, some copper, some, I mean, lead, there's all kinds, different colors, you know, right. just like any other bait you're going to find out there. But, yeah, um, we're really getting kind of more into the end of your, into your vertical fishing here. So when you're going out deep, deep, you're going to be graphing over fish. And if you find a, a hump or a drop off or a tree mm -hmm. that is holding fish, a group of fish around it, you can just kind of hold, hold right, hold the boat right over the top of them and then, then drop your jigging spoon down and you're just going to pull it up and let it fall on slack line pull it up let it fall on slack line but what's cool about the the jigging spoon is that so often in the winter all these other baits we're talking about when you get a bite it's so subtle it's hard to even tell you got a bite but when one latches onto that jigging spoon and you're pulling that bait up again oh it's a thump oh it feels so <laughs> it's good. solid it it is it feels so good you know there's a couple ways of doing the drop some people put so much slack in it that they can't feel it I like to give it a tad slack, but I follow my line down with my pole as it's falling because I found that I can actually feel that I can feel that bite faster. Mm -hmm. Even though I, I don't have all the tension and I've got slack in it, but I can see it, feel it. If you let all that slack in the lines land on top of the water, you don't know when they hit it until you lift it back up again. So, right. um, yeah, follow that. Let that rod tip follow down as that spoon's falling fast. Um, I, for me, it helps me to catch more fish or has. Yeah, right. Uh, a couple other for those deeper fish is going to be drop shot, which anytime summer, anytime these fish are deep, it's it's hard to get away from the drop shot. Which a is clear water, especially yeah. any clear water right. lake, drop shot's king. <laughs> and, and a drop shot is a sense essentially you tie a small hook about, I'll say a foot up from the bottom of your line, yeah, and you put a small subtle floating worm on this hook, and then a weight down below the hook on this. You've got a tag in that's about a foot long below the hook, and you put a weight there. And so what you're really doing is uh, you're targeting these suspended fish, the fish that are not right on the bottom. They're anywhere from a foot or two off the bottom all the way up to 
in the middle of the water column and you can drop this down to them and and kind of let it just hang in their faces and it's so subtle and finessey that a lot of times they'll bite it they won't get scared by it like they will by a lot of other big baits another deep option we didn't we didn't do drop shot and we didn't do any of this next one are ice jigs and one of the reasons we didn't do the ice jigs is what we've come to find out is that without forward-facing sonar you're really kind of playing uh, a game of chess with these ice jigs because you really have to target these fish that are moving in these channels um, where the bait are and you have to be able to see where they're moving and drop this thing right down to them uh, kind of hang it right in their face and that's basically uh, it looks like a little minnow it weighs about an ounce and then it's got little plastic fins on the front and back of it so it makes it fall kind of erratic and crazy but it falls really fast you can get it down to them and uh, I know a lot of pros have really tuned into this but it's kind of a I don't know that it's a secret but it's not one of these really well known ways that people are targeting these deep bass but ice jigs man they can they can really load up the boat with some big ones in the winter yeah you talked about a, a tournament you had fished in the past and there was a local pro yeah and he devoured annihilated, everybody annihilated, annihilated me and yeah. everybody else in the tournament yeah. with a dang ice jig right yeah. so it is deadly when you when you have everything in place to use it for absolutely sure. so let's let's talk about exactly what what we found that worked for us we mentioned all these things you know what i don't even think i i've talked about what what worked for us as far as one of the winter baits and that's a jig uh anybody that knows me or has fished with me much a jig is my favorite bait. I love to fish with a jig. And we started out yesterday trying some of these other baits. The blade bait, the jerk bait, the crank bait, the spoons. We tried all that stuff. And then once we kind of didn't get any bites, we kind of succumbed to, you know what? It's calm and it's sunny. We're seeing these bait balls close to the bottom. These fish are on the bottom. We, we need to get down to them. We need to fish slow. And that's a great thing about a jig is that you can you can really go with some bigger weights and even if the fish are deep you can get down to them and you can fish a jig so, so slow you can even dead stick it which is basically mean you're letting it sit there that's why i think the trailer is so important that you choose in the winter it needs to be something that has um, some limbs and appendages on it that will move on its own while it's just sitting there right so really to start off um i started using a jerk bait that's what i i was using a jerk bait Brian was still kind of rigging up, getting some stuff ready. I was using a jerk bait, and I wasn't really getting the bite I thought I was going to get. So I switched over to that blade bait because we were over by a dock, deeper water. Um, I just knew throwing that out and bringing that back would at least catch something small and nothing. So finally, we both get ready. We go to that hot spot. We know there's bass, and I actually pick up the jig, and that's what I started dragging right on the bottom. I threw it out, let it set there. Um, you had jig on as well at the same time. Both throwing it out, and... The reason I had confidence in that is because you caught a bass a few weeks before that with the jig. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, if he caught one with a jig right here, we can do it again, right? And I felt a little tick, but it wasn't a normal tick. It isn't that bite that you're going to find in spring, summer, fall. It is a, and when I say a tick, it's like. It's so subtle. It's just, yeah, you can kind of see it in your line, but then yet you're not sure if it was a bite. You're not sure if maybe you're hooked up to maybe like a limb on a tree. Uh -huh. So you reel up that slack a little bit. And as you go to lift, you kind of have some weight there, just a little bit of resistance. And right. this is where you have to <laughs> you have to be like, you know, what am I all in? Am I going to jerk? 
Because if I do, I'm either going to catch this fish or I'm hung. Or catching a tree. <laughs> and I've caught a tree. <laughs> and so, you know, you reel up that slack, give a good lifting jerk, and I caught a fish. Yeah. had a fish on. As I'm getting this fish in, what happened to you? Well, as you, you said, oh, I got a bite, and I had just had a couple bites and lost them. And so I knew we were in an area that had some fish, and I turned and I look, and you're in the back of the boat fighting the fish. Mm-hmm. Well, I had my GoPro running on my chest, so I turned my chest towards you, and I just had my rod sitting in my left hand. I turned my chest towards you, so I was videoing you fighting the fish. And as as I'm doing that, my bait's just sitting there. I feel the very subtle tick. And so then I turn again. It's like, oh, no, I got one. I set the hook. And our first catch was actually two nice right. keeper so bass. So we doubled. First catch, we doubled up, man. Yeah. And it was awesome. I caught a small mouth. You caught a... A large mouth. And, you know, we had two fish on the board. If we were in a tournament, we'd have been on the board, had two keepers on the boat, um, all off a jig. Yeah. You know, we had different colors. I had like an orange and green craw. You had a blue <clears throat> with blue fleck. Is that right? In your craw? Yeah. And, you know, the jig color skirts. When you're talking about jigs, there are so many different types of, of bass jigs. You know, listening, you have jigs that have skirts. You have you have deer hair jigs. You have uh, football yeah. jigs. You have casting jigs. There, there are so Skipping, many types. finesse. Sk- yes, I would keep going. Wobblehead. <laughs> right. I mean, there are so many different types of jigs. And to help understand what that is, you basically are taking a hook. And they're going to melt a weight to it. So you have this weighted hook. Now, today's technology, they're getting so fancy. There's so many things they can add to them. But there's usually a keeper on that hook somewhere to when you're sliding a, a soft plastic bait that it's going to stay on that hook. It's going to stay up there for you. And so that's what Brian and I were using, a weighted hook. So we're using a jig. It did have synthetic skirts on them, different colors. But then we slid, uh, you know, like he's talking about that that flailing armed um, bait, whatever you want to put on. We were using craws. You know, I, I had a crawdad on mine. And so that as it's falling down, those those what looked to be like the pinchers on a crawdad, you know, they're they're moving and and we had to keep it on the bottom. The longer it sat on the bottom, it sound it was almost like the, the better the bite, like the the increase of bite we were gonna get, the longer that it stayed in contact with the bottom. Yeah, really having to focus on fishing it slow, like telling yourself, let it sit a minute drag it a little bit, let it like really intentionally fishing it slow, but you have to really pay close attention too, again, because that bite was so subtle. And, and you'll notice like even when you hook and fi- and hook a fish up, they don't fight like they do other times of the year. Then when you get them up out of the water, they even act kind of funny. They're not flailing and flopping right. around. They're, they're, they're cold. They feel cold. They look cold. Once they moved out to the, you know, 20 feet and we're starting to catch some of those, you'll pull them up and you're like, well, that fish hasn't seen sunlight in a while. Like they just don't have a lot of color. color. Yeah. Right. Well, fish are cold blooded. Right. And they're literally going to be the temperature of their surroundings. And so that's another piece. When we talk about if they're not finding their, their food source, they're kind of going to be by structure. Mm -hmm. And some of the science behind this, some of the things I've read is that like, you're looking for logs, stumps, you know, the trees that are all the way vertical, all the way in the ground, underwater, because they are going to heat up first. That sun, as it came out like the daylight when we were out, that sun is heating up that log, that tree underwater, faster than it is the water temperature. Right. And so, you know, those fish may may set up beside some of that structure, whether that because it's warmer or not, I don't know. Um, but it's a great place to start. 
And, and that's what we did. We, we were catching these bass on the very bottom by some of these trees that we had found. Mm-hmm. Now, how deep were we? How deep was? So we were catching most of our fish between 15 and 20 feet of, of depth. But I, I do want to kind of talk more about all the conditions that were in this exact area that we were getting bites because we were, we were able to move to another place that looked just like it on the map and get a few more bites. But as we're, you know, we, we kill the boat, put the trolling motor down before we get up to there. So we're easing up there. Immediately, we're starting to graph balls of bait. We could see shad. We could see a couple bass underneath them. And then on the structure scan, you look over and you're seeing all these treetops. You can see the tips of a couple trees sticking out of the water. It's kind of a steeper, I'll call it a 45-degree bank. You know, something where crawfish and bait are going to be holding in the winter. Also, looking at your map and your your topographic map, you could see that the channel was coming down and it was actually the end of a channel swing so this was where the channel was leaving and swinging back to the other side of the lake you know and and again the channel is basically where this this would have been a river before the dam was built and turned into a lake Mm -hmm. where the river would have flown and so rivers wind and weave and as it crosses the lake and hits a bank on the other side. If you don't have a map, generally, when you're looking at the steeper bank side, generally that's going to be your channel side. So finding those places where the channel crosses the lake and meets up with the other side is always so key um, a lot of times of the year, but especially in the winter, you're going to find bait and fish in those areas. Also, we had depth. We are catching them in 15 to 20, but there was also 40 feet of water a cast just behind us if we were to turn and cast the other way. So they had depth that they needed to move to. They had bait. They had structure to be around, and we were right there on that channel swing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't know why the craw seemed to work that day other than there's not a lot of crawdads out this time of year. They're, they're It's cold. They're not out. Yeah, they're so, lethargic and hiding too. Yes, and so because of that, maybe, maybe that's what increased our chances – um, but fishing on the bottom was key and, and another bait that we actually haven't talked about that I used, um, I don't know if you should always use for winter fishing, but it, I do. <laughs> and I did is I used the, the Texas yeah. rig. This is, this is, this is a, a bait that was actually shared to you by a, a MLF pro. Yep. So this pro, um, he actually taught me to, to do this now. I just said Texas rig. Most of us know Texas rig. I grew up fishing Texas rig, but this tip was actually to do it finesse. And it was the finesse side that I never thought about, never tried, but it's still Texas rig. And so you're using a one-off hook, really small, and you're using a very small bait that's going to be on the hook, and then you're using a very small weight. Yeah, and light line and spinning rod. Using six-pound test. I was on a spinning rod. I did have that with braid. So I had braid with a liter of um, fluorocarbon, six-pound test fluorocarbon. Um, I had a slip sinker on there. I was using – I actually tried – I did a half ounce to begin with because I wanted to go on the bottom quick. Um, I actually later switched to a quarter ounce. Um, But normally in in normal conditions where I'm using that, I'm using an eighth, sixteenth, somewhere in there. It's that finesse real light. Mm-hmm. But for today, because it was we were fishing 25 feet deep, fishing around the bottom, I jumped a little, a little bit heavier, and I started catching fish. Now, didn't catch keepers with this, but ca- caught several shorts. And that's kind of the issue that I have with this bait, that it catches all kinds, but you catch a lot of short fish. And so it's fun, but yet you're, you're, 
you're catching a lot of short ones. Whereas you, you were catching bigger fish because you were using, I think, the bigger bait. Right. But that's why I was throwing off. I love jig fishing, um, but Brian was in the front of the boat with the jig, and I wanted to try to, to clean up, like, what other fish didn't want the jig and may want this. Right. But this this Texas rig style, you're keeping that bait really right off of the bottom. Your, your line's on the bottom with that slip bait, that slip weight. And your bait actually is kind of coming off the bottom and and kind of moving and floating up. I was using a Z-Man. Um, it's a very stretchy style, real small um, stick bait. And that stick bait, because it's the Z-Man, the Elastec, it floats, and so it kind of floats up off the bottom. And that's that's what I was I was catching these little short bass, mm-hmm. and it was weedless. So you know we were fishing in this tree. Brian is so good with the jig. I'm just going to say it that way. I don't know how he keeps from getting hung up. I, I lost a jig like first thing that morning. Got hung up on either a rock or stump. Don't know. Um, so for me, it was better to go weedless as well in some of the areas that we were fishing. But it did produce for the winter bite, but that's because it was on the bottom. The bite that we had that morning was on the bottom. Right. And so this this jig and this Texas rig finesse style bait that we're using, you know, if if the fish were suspended these would not be baits that you wanted to use and the thing about the winter is if you want to go find suspended fish or you want to find some of these fish up i'll call it shallower in 15 to 20 feet of water um you can you can find both had we didn't really because we were catching fish this way but if we wanted to go out to some of these deeper 60 to 80 foot points and start graphing over some structure and finding groups of fish we could have done that as well right um but we never made it to that because we were being we were successful doing what we were doing with with our jigs and really that's because we were we realized the conditions we found fish we're fishing on the bottom when you get these high skies and the shad and the bait get pushed down the bass are going to push down with them and you can kind of tell that if you are seeing the shad on your graphs and they're closer to the bottom you know i'll say within five or ten feet of the bottom and you're not graphing a lot of bass that's probably because they're tight to the bottom and a lot of electronics are, it's hard for them to pick them up when they're tight to the bottom because they can't distinguish them from other features on the bottom, like rocks and, and limbs and things. But bass in the winter, anywhere from 10 to, uh, I'll say, 100 feet deep. And there's just a handful of tactics really to target them. So go out and try it. If you need somebody that has electronics, um, that can definitely make it easier, but you don't have to have all that stuff. You can go out in, in a kayak and, and, and do that as well. Some tips for finding fish if you don't have electronics or you don't have the top-of-line electronics really is looking at your surroundings. So one, the channel swings. You can visibly look and see, kind of guess where the channel swings are. But another one is looking for birds. Winter is awesome because for us, the osprey and the bald eagles and the cormorants and the loons and all these different species that you don't see throughout the summer are around. But we also have a lot of seagulls. And if you have a day, usually it's going to be a day that has more cloud cover and a little breeze. These bass will start feeding on these shad. And what happens is it pushes these balls of shad up towards the surface. And when that happens, it starts a feeding frenzy with the birds. So even if you don't have electronics, if you see birds feeding in the water, there's probably bass over there pushing these shad up. And don't get fooled if it's out in the middle of the lake in no man's land. Right. Go out there and throw your jerkbait through that, and you're likely to, to get a bite. Another tip when you're looking for depth, you know, a really heavy jig. Um, Brian, what, what weight, what size of jig did you use? 
I and I usually use around a half ounce for the the depth that we are using. Our, so the mat fifteen. You know, from feet. a half ounce, even a three quarter. If you want to get into a one ounce, just you're probably going to hang it up and yeah. break it off. But what's cool is that when you throw a really heavy jig out, you can see the depth of the water you're in. Like you can count it. You can see it. You can see, especially when you're vertically when you're vertical fishing and you just drop that jig down, you can get a sense of that depth and that's going to help you. So when you're saying, let's go out, uh, you see the, the, you see how these birds coming down and feeding off the bait off top of the water. As you go over there, throw your jig down. If it's falling and falling and falling and falling, like, okay, now we're hitting into that 50 to hundred feet deep. You're not probably going to be using a jig out there, but when you throw it out, if it drops and it hits that bottom pretty quick, now you're into 12 to 20 feet deep, you know, Technology is awesome. If you can afford it, go buy it. But if you can't, there's other ways that you can go out and and figure out what's going on with your surroundings um, without all the technology, too. Another bonus of wintertime fishing. A lot of times in the winter, this wasn't necessarily true for us because we've had quite a bit of precipitation, but a lot of times in the winter on impoundments, it's low water conditions. It's the lowest the lake's going to be all year long. So when you go out in these lower water conditions, you'll see features cover points humps that are out of the water now that will be underwater come spring and summer and it's a great time to map or make mental note of those so that you can go back to them if you're out in low water conditions on one of these impoundments and you're like man look at that i would have never thought that hump would be there if it's an irregularity you can even mark it on your phone if you don't have electronics if you have electronics we'll we'll make a waypoint there or just keep some people are great at remembering exactly where those things mm-hmm. are. Remember that so that you can go back to that later in the year and it may become one of your honey holes. Right. That's something that, that actually uh, we want to thank a friend that uh, we borrowed his his Lawrence unit. Yeah, his graph. Yeah. <laughs> his graph, we had it. And he had actually went through and marked a lot of these trees. Yeah, oh, Z-Love back in 2017. <laughs> back in 2017, Z-Love went out when the water was low and marked a lot of these points. And that actually didn't help us to to catch fish it actually helped us to protect our boat so that yeah um as you're going in lower water that's still above uh the level of that tree you know the trees are, are tall enough where you can still get your prop in it and ruin your boat so um go in and mark those areas so that when you go back out with that with the water back up you're protecting your prop on your boat and and getting through the waterway safely yeah he had marked all the hazards on there when the water was low so because mm-hmm. where we were fishing again it's kind of up in the creek and river system and they're I was out with him in 2017 when the water was low, and it is like a forest out there. I mean, there right. was so much timber, um, but right now you hardly see any timber at all because the lake's up at, at normal levels. But again, like you're saying, you could still hit one that was barely under the water. If you don't have all that history, all that mapping history, if you are looking at a map on your electronics, general rule of thumb is follow the channel. Right. That's going to be your deepest part. That's going to be your, your best odds of having either no trees or trees deep enough for you to drive over. Yeah, that's good. And this area that we were at is tough to troll, but that's kind of another quick, fast winter tip that, that I've found is um, you can't troll in tournaments. So you're not you're not using this troll technique for tournaments, anything like that. But to help understand where the fish are at, you can troll with those crankbaits. You know how deep these crankbaits are going, and it gives you a depth. And as you're trolling through some of these channel swings, if you catch fish, that's another way to help you know, A, there's fish there, B, what depth they're at, and if you're in the channel or not. So, again, technology is awesome, but you may not have this listening. There are ways that you can still get out in the winter and go catch fish. Right, and I think the most important thing is that you are getting out. You are getting outdoors. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is... 
the winner can become, you know, we live in a time that's more aware of mental health than ever before. And I think that's a good thing. But the winter can be tough. You're spending more time outdoors. You're spending more time locked up with people you love. But the more time you spend around people, the more you get under people's skin. You have more of these gray, dreary conditioned days that seems to start affecting people, kind of making them feel maybe down in the dumps. But man, when you go outdoors, even if it's a gray, dreary day or if it's in the snow, even if it's cold, there there is something restorative. There is something that happens in our brain and chemically I think that's a reason when you look through the Bible, God spent so much time outdoors. That's why he was outdoors when the devil tempted him. That's why he sent Moses to spend all this time in the wilderness. Like, you see all these people in the wilderness. John mm-hmm. the Baptist only lived in the wilderness. There's a reason for that. I, I When you start to see the pattern in the good book and you feel it yourself as you go out and do it, spend some time outdoors and don't overlook winter bass fishing. So many people think it's cold, it's hard to fish. There is some good fishing to be had in the winter. Yeah, I mean, you know, some people have said, well, I've winterized my boat. All you have to do to winterize a boat is treat your fuel and don't let your prop freeze up. So when you get back, drain the water out of your prop, leave your prop down. If you got some treatment in your fuel, that's it. Keep those batteries charged. (laughs) Cold's hard on them. You know, that is a tip, a really good tip for the winter months. which I charge my batteries every time. I leave them on a trickle charge. The only time my batteries aren't being charged is when I'm using them. When you're using them. Right. And I have extended, I have, let's say it's a three-year battery. I have had batteries in my boat that's went six years by just leaving them on the trickle charge when Mm -hmm. when I'm not out on the water. And they've extended my battery life, and they're always ready to go when I'm ready. Right. You know, unplug it, boom, ready to go. So, winterizing your boat i get it some people are like you know what ben it's winterized man you're missing out on some good fishing if, if you don't go try it though right at the end of the day we just hope you guys are feeling encouraged to spend time outdoors we hope you enjoyed listening to, to our stories we'll be sharing we do have a little bit of footage and some content from from our time out there we'll be showing that on our social media as as this episode gets going we hope that you are enjoying the meant to be outdoors podcast in this new year 2023 we hope that your family is finding yourself well and healthy If you'd like to support us, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Whatever platform you listen to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast on, we'd love if you hit the automatic download and subscribe button. But if you want to really take it a step further, leave us a review. That really helps us to move up the charts so that when people are looking for things in nature and outdoors or Christianity, when they search for that, the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast will come up. So the reviews definitely help. We will be back. We will be back next Tuesday with another episode but between now and that time we hope that you find time to get outdoors thank you for listening to the meant to be outdoors podcast hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell please help us by subscribing also follow along on TikTok Instagram and Facebook